Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Average to Elite podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lowe. And today we're going to look at the five steps to the optimal athlete diet. So before we get into the podcast and really unwrap the five steps, I just want to look at the word optimal for a quick second, because perhaps optimal is a bit of a clickbaity title. Um, but when we think of optimizing, it's optimizing based, in, based on you. Uh, based on you as the individual and as the athlete, because we all have different environments. We all have different settings, circumstances. We have different shit going on in our life, right? So it's basically now how can we take the recommendations uh, that's based on evidence in the literature and so on uh, and data, and how can we then mold them to your to your life, Okay. So the steps are going to go through are perhaps what are the optimal on paper, but I just want you to keep on thinking, how can I fit this into my own life and build my own nutrition program with these kind of recommendations, okay? And then you naturally find a happy ground because that's exactly what I do. If I'm starting to work with a new athlete, I know what all the correct evidence-based recommendations are for wide variety of sports. But then each and every single athlete that comes to me has a completely different background, different scenarios, settings, circumstances, different educational level, different things they struggle with. So it's like, right, how can we now, again, just plug these recommendations um, to build a nutrition program that they are able to do for a long period of time? Because consistency is ultimately going to generate world-class results, okay? Um, so I see so many athletes trying to, quote-unquote, the perfect diet, I know 100% optimal, optimal on paper, but they can only do it for two weeks, maybe three at a push. And then they're like, ah, I can't do this. And then they kind of go from that on it, off it mentality, generate no consistency and ultimately get no results, uh, which is absolutely pointless. So please um, just go into this podcast, just keep on thinking, how can I mold these recommendations into my life? So I also want to kick off as well with a quote, uh, which you probably would have heard by uh, one more because I've said it a few times now. Um, and it's basically a good diet will make an average athlete elite, but a poor diet will make an elite athlete average. So what we're trying to do here is basically create a nutrition program that allows us to eat correctly based on our demands. So this is going to optimize and should I say, oh, again, that word optimize, but essentially improve um, physical performance, your mental performance, your muscle recovery, muscle adaptation, your immunity and well-being, your mental health, and then things like your rehab, your return to play, your prehab, and all that kind of stuff. So a question I would actually, I get asked, a fair few times when I go on say guest podcasts and stuff like that uh, is oh what's the most important thing for an athlete is it their health or is it their performance and it's like well you can't have an ill athlete perform to their highest potential right so you know health is the most important thing for an athlete for them as an individual first that provides them with stability and a really solid platform for them to be able to perform at their best and again, this is physical health and mental health and nutrition has a very robust uh, effect in supporting this, okay? So these are the areas we're really looking to um, kind of expand on and improve. So this can be boiled down into three areas. 
uh, three real simple kind of questions like what do we eat? How much do we eat? And when do we eat it? So if we just kind of use those three questions as a little bit of a kind of navigation to our nutrition program, it's, you know, it just makes us um, think a little bit deeper. Okay. So again, when I have a new athlete come onto my athlete coaching program and I'm doing the uh, kind of initial starter kind of plans, I'm always thinking like what, what foods they like to eat, um, how much do they need to be eaten based on their goals and when are they going to eat it? Not only in terms of the training times and things like that, but even like the logistical things like when have they got the lunch break at work, when they traveling to work, are they training before work? Are they training after? Are they training both? So all these kind of uh, things are going to be super, super, super important so they can follow it again uh, with the least amount of friction. So in terms of the five steps, we're going to look at food quantity, food quality, protein distribution, within-day carbohydrate periodization, and then last one, hydration. So, you know, the, the five kind of steps that are, really quite straightforward and you probably would have heard me speak about these quite a few times but again i'm just going to talk you through my rationale my thought processes when i come to build my my own nutrition program but the nutrition program of athletes work with as well and this is for every sport like the fundamental principles are there whether you are a triathlete a marathon runner a cyclist uh, a boxer you know a powerlifter a crossfit athlete these these principles are going to be the same, but you just adjust them based on the overall demands and, again, your current circumstances. So when we think of food quantity, so number one is food quantity. So essentially how much we eat. When we think of quantity, we're thinking mostly about energy availability. You know, calories are the absolute governor here, okay? Um, and if we have poor calorie management, we don't necessarily see any results. So when we think of calories, we, we naturally kind of gravitate to thinking about body composition, fat loss, calorie deficit, or muscle building, calorie surplus, or maintenance, and stuff like that. But we're also thinking of energy availability um, based, based on actual improving performance, improving and accelerating recovery. We're thinking of it from like a rehab prehab perspective. We're thinking about it from an immune function perspective. So, you know, calories are absolutely key. And if we're thinking of optimizing physical mental performance, we need to be our energy maintenance, right? So calorie maintenance. So whatever you're burning, you're putting 100% of those calories back in. And then as I've done in many podcasts before, talking about fat loss, muscle growth, um, we need to adjust calories then to support those desirable outcomes, okay? So number one is like, if you think of uh, that kind of nutrition pyramid model that's been kind of pushed around in social media and stuff, calories are always at the bottom. That We can't think about nutrient timing and all this kind of cool stuff um, without calories being really kind of um, the platform that we're going to build off, okay? So again, poor calorie management is going to generate no results. And I will do a podcast in terms of how to calculate your calorie intake as accurately as possible based on the methods I use. Um, so I'm not going to go into the numbers today, but I just want you to make or just make you more aware than you probably already are that calories are absolute king. Um, and then poor calorie management, again, you're not going to go anywhere without managing your calorie intake properly. And so this is boiled down to, again, just 
most likely not knowing one, how many calories you need per day, which again, I will cover in a uh, future episode, or poor planning, essentially just not proactive with your planning and you're planning your week so they are in alignment with your training demands and competition demands. So you're very reactive. You just kind of just, you know, just going, you know, haphazardly with your nutrition. You're just kind of just putting in food and not really having too much uh, attention to it. Um, and then you're just not tracking accurately as well. We know, again, humans are incredible at underreporting their nutrition um, and forgetting that they eat certain foods. And I'm susceptible to this as well. I like to think I'm i track my food and i plan my food to very 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 high standard but there's going to be some things that i forget to have uh, or put into my my fitness pal or my food diary or something like that so the other day um i like went, went out for food and you no know, had like two slices of garlic bread you no know, it's like it doesn't you know it's not much and it's easy to forget that but you know that could be between three to four hundred calories it's like okay but if, for example, I was eating out several times a week, that is going to slowly build up. And over the course of the weeks, months, and years, that builds up to a lot. And then all the extra things in terms of tracking accuracies or inaccuracies come into it. You know, that's where we have poor calorie management and that's where we struggle to see results, okay? So we have to have like a heightened awareness around surrounding calorie intake. And this isn't an obsession around calorie management. This is an awareness Okay, because we need to really appreciate that, you know, just food labels can be out by maybe 10% plus or minus. So if we're trying to track everything to the nth degree, and then we know that we got quite large inaccuracies in terms of the food labels, um, you know, we'll kind of, you know, we kind of get ourselves down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. And it's not perhaps the, the most healthy and productive way to approach our food. And then when we think about the, uh, differences in just daily movement every single day. Um, you know, where, where does the tracking kind of stop? Are you going to track how many flights of stairs you went up versus how many steps you did? You know, did you take a lift one day? Did you walk that extra four steps? You know, where does the tracking stop? Okay. So we want to really generate an awareness around this and not an obsession. So once we've got a good idea of what a calorie intake is for a daily basis. So if you're burning, 4,000 calories a day, 3,000, 5,000, 2,000. We need to meet those demands accordingly based on the goal we have uh, in place. So once we know our calories, then all we think about then is protein fats are constants throughout that week. Again, throughout the training week, not necessarily for competitions because we then have our competition-specific strategies, but throughout the course of the training week, protein and fats are constants. And then we periodize carbohydrates then accordingly based on our demands. So if you then have like a medium day, high day, low day, like a curve before, all we're doing is adjusting carbohydrate quantities like a dimmer switch. Do I need to pull carbs down, pull carbohydrates up to fill in the remainder of the calories uh, that I need for that day? Because again, what we're trying to do is fuel for the work required here. Know how much carbohydrate is in the tank. And... Um, Essentially, we know that high carbohydrate, high carbohydrate availability is when the tanks are full. And that's where we achieve mental and physical performance. Okay. So food quantity on a daily basis is absolutely key. Um, I'm going to go into protein in two sections time, but in terms of dietary fat uh, aspect of things, 
we kind of got a range of perhaps 0.5 to 1.5 gram per kilogram of fat per day. Generally speaking, I set all athletes on one gram uh, per kilo, and then I will adjust accordingly based on the based on the uh, yeah person preferences and perhaps fuel and demands for the day. But protein and fats generally remain pretty constant throughout the course of the training week, and like I mentioned, they will change uh, quite considerably going into uh, events, races, games. Uh, on the weekend if they have any. So second one is food quality. And when I think of food quality, I'm really thinking of micronutrient status. Um, so I think a lot of athletes will kind of get the idea of, right, food quantity, right, this amount of protein, fats, calories, carbs, all this kind of good stuff. But then, and they most likely will hit those targets quite consistently, but they forget about food quality. Um, and when I think about food quality, we still need to be thinking about balance, okay? I don't anyone really to have a 100% quote-unquote perfect diet where they have no flexibility and it's overly rigid because when we think of flexible versus rigid dieting, rigid dieting, I follow a meal plan every single day. I cannot deviate from this. This is good food. This is bad food, so on. That's going to build an unhealthy relationship with food. Where if you have more of a flexible approach, 80-20, 90-10 rule, whatever you want to call it. Um, having some flexibility in there. We don't put these foods up on a pedestal. This is good food. This is bad food. We have a nice, as, the, as it's called, flexible approach to our nutrition. As long as we pay our nutrient bills, then we can afford and allocate more calories to more of the fun stuff if we have the calorie currency there available. But essentially, we need to pay those bills first, those micronutrient bills first. And this is essentially boiled down to your fruit and veggie intake. Um, and it's, it sounds crazy trying to get, you know, probably sound very parent-like, have you had your fruit and veg per day? But these are the world-class basics that we really, really, really need to be hitting on a daily basis. And again, your fruit and veg intake is going to change considerably surrounding competitions. Like you're not going to have a whole head of broccoli before you do a triathlon, you know? Um, so there's going to be context there. But when we think of the training week, we need to be super consistent with our fruit and veg intake. So we know that one portion of fruit and veg is 80 grams. And recommendations will, or daily recommendations will vary a little bit from country to country. Uh, in the UK, we're currently still operating as that five-a-day kind of model. Other countries, eight to 10 portions. For my athletes who have you know, a heightened antioxidant kind of need perhaps, and therefore require more sort of vitamins and minerals in their diet to support that, we look at having eight to 10 portions per day minimum. So that's 840 grams to 800 grams minimum per day. Um, so that I know that if they hit that quota through a wide variety of sources, so different colors will offer different nutrients. Uh, so therefore paint the rainbow. I'm going to be pretty confident that we're going to hit um, the micronutrient goal for, for the day there. And also as well, just looking at, you know, tracking your fiber intake, 10 to 12 grams um, of fiber per thousand calories you consume is about right for like a starting point for sure. Um, so if I was to look at someone's diet uh, in terms of assessing their quality and I didn't see their food, but I just saw their fiber intake. And if they're on 12 grams of fiber a day, 
I can make a pretty confident assumption that their food quality is pretty poor. Where if I see they're consuming, I don't know, 40, 45, 50 grams of fiber per day, I can make a pretty good assumption that the food quality is pretty good. Because generally speaking, should we say healthier, more nutrient dense foods typically are associated with more fiber. Um, obviously not always, like if you, <laughs> if you have like an egg, you know, you're not going to have 10 grams of fiber in that, but it's going to have a lot of vitamins and minerals in it. So on a whole, if they're consuming a decent amount of fiber, we can assume, make a good assumptions that their overall diet quality is, is going to be really good. Okay. So if you're going to take anything from the food quality step here, it's pay your nutrient bills first, and then whatever you got left over, then you can have as little more of a flexi kind of calorie. It's like, think of like your current financial status. You're perhaps not going to book a holiday or buy a new car or something like that before you pay for your rent, your mortgage, all the kind of bills. So exactly the same thing. We need to pay our bills first. We do all that sort of um, base requirements. Then anything left over, we can have more of the luxury kind of fun stuff. Same with the food. Calories are currency. It's exactly the same thing. Step three, we're going to look at protein distribution. So when we think about protein intake, we're really looking at maximizing muscle protein synthesis. Um, and that I guess that's where the recommendations are generally um, tailored to. But we know that if we eat to support muscle protein synthesis, I muscle development, growth, remodeling, we're going to cover protein requirements for pretty much everything else as well, i.e. immune function and so on. So the current guidelines are going to be basically um, on a per meal basis. So I don't necessarily like giving um, daily, daily recommendations because we know that protein frequency and distribution is, is going to be pretty important for, again, optimizing uh, most point synthesis and recovery. Okay. So whenever we have protein in an adequate amount on a per meal basis, we switch on muscle point synthesis. And this is a process of creating new muscle tissue to switch this on. We need approximately 0.4 grams per kilogram of high quality protein per meal. So if you weigh 80 kilos, that's 32 ish grams of high quality protein to maximally stimulate muscle point synthesis. We then want to sort of have around four meals of that. Um, so maybe it's a, a breakfast, a lunch, mid-afternoon snack, and a dinner. And then we now have a higher protein meal before we go to bed um, to keep muscle protein synthesis rates elevated throughout the night. And that's about 0.6 grams per kilo. So if you kind of put that together, it's about 2.2 grams per kilogram um, per day. So of high quality protein, that is. Um, and I, I, you know, and again, like I don't need to get too crazy with the numbers here, but it's just a case of like, right, am I just having enough protein on a per meal basis? Uh, for me, I kind of acknowledge those recommendations. I have an awareness, but I, based on my daily kind of eating pattern, I basically have five, shall we say, feeding occasions. Sound like a farm animal, like a feeding opportunities there. Um, but I will just have, you know, at least kind of 40 grams of protein per meal. Uh, and I'm going to hit my sort of two to 2.5 gram per kilogram of high quality protein per day. So that, that's typically what I aim for. Now, that's what the general, sorry, the current recommendations are for optimizing. But you now, if you have that versus five meals a day of high quality protein, you know, the results aren't really going to be 
any difference at all, okay? So the reason why I don't like total daily intake too much is because you may miss like three protein hits in the morning and just have all your protein intake, like maybe like 100 grams of protein in two meals. You know, you're going to only stimulate muscle protein synthesis twice a day because, um, you know, you're only going to use the first maybe 30, 40 grams to stimulate muscle protein synthesis and the rest is not going to be not going to further support um, muscle protein synthesis, muscle growth and stuff like that. So it's much better to take your daily protein intake, you know, light on the side, chop it up and have it uh, evenly distributed throughout the day because then it's just a scoreboard. Are you having, if you're having five protein hits a day versus two protein hits over the course of, I don't know, a five year period, that's a big difference in terms of overall scoreboard and the opportunities that you have to amplify the training response and accelerate muscle recovery adaptation, that kind of stuff, okay? So ultimately we're looking at high quality protein, evenly distributed throughout the day. Um, ideally, maybe every four or so hours would be absolutely awesome. Yes, you can look into it in further detail and looking at, okay, you know, whey protein is, uh, or something like that, or dairy proteins higher in essential amino acids, so we need a little bit less. Uh, we're plant-based protein sources, is going to be, you know, a little bit less in essential amino acids, so therefore we need a little bit more. Is essentially let's just focus on just getting enough in on a per meal basis and then evenly distribute it. Again, once you start getting down rabbit holes, you know, it's not really going to make much of a difference in terms of overall result. The only thing it's going to do is probably just cause more overwhelm in terms of your dietary tracking and therefore adherence. Um, you know, it's just kind of knowing what what things are going to drive the process and what things to really care about and what things not to kind of care about. Um, so yeah, just, just think of like, again, just going back to that, sort of having an awareness over like protein frequency distribution, again, protein hitting throughout the day, as opposed to, oh, I had 34 grams of protein instead of 32. Oh no, my diet is ruined. So I'm going to have a fuck it kind of day. I'm just going to eat crisps because I messed up that protein hit this morning. So we did, you know, obviously that's a ridiculous kind of um, scenario and example there, but you know, a lot of athletes will think along those kind of very binary kind of um, on it or off it kind of approach and mentalities. Okay. And then what we're going to do then is step four, we're look, going to look at within day carbohydrate periodization. So yes, we periodize our entire week based on the training demand. So low calorie days, low carb days, we're going to have medium carb days, medium calorie days, high, ultra high, mega high, all this kind of stuff. So when we think of, and I've kind of put this up on say Instagram a few times, you know, it's not a high carb diet. It's not a low carb diet. It's not a moderate carb diet. It's the right amount of carbohydrate diet based on what you are doing that day, what, what your activities are. So we have the weekly periodization, which is key. We can take one step further then and look at within day carbohydrate periodization. And, you know, there's a lot of um, nutritionists out there now kind of sort of doing this and labeling meals into like high carb meals, medium carb meals, low carb meals, and they use a traffic light system, red, amber, green, and stuff like that. So the whole idea is that kind of look at your daily carbohydrate intake and then sandwich the session pre and post and maybe during if needed with carbohydrates. So you have a high amount of carbohydrates surrounding the sessions and then in the meals away, we kind of taper this down. Um, that is the, the typical approach. 
So if you train after work, you may go a little bit lower carbohydrate in the morning, have maybe like a moderate carbohydrate lunch. And that's when we're going to really ramp up carbohydrate intake surrounding the session. Even if you train first thing, let's put a decent amount of carbohydrates in beforehand, big carbohydrate after, and then, you know, taper it off into the evening. If you're training twice a day before work, after work, you know, then you're probably going to have different demands of sessions. It's unlikely you can have two very, very hard sessions in the day you might do, but maybe if you have a harder session in the morning and a lighter session in the evening, you're still going to have a greater bias of carbohydrates for that morning session. Where again, if you're training twice a day and you have an easy session in the morning, like say a zone two spin on the bike, a quick spin, a swim, and then a hard session in the evening, like go down to the track, do your sprints, whatever, you're going to bias more carbs in the evening. If you just have like a big day and you're doing two intense sessions, then generally speaking, it's just a, a big old calorie and carbohydrate day and every single meal is going to be high in carb, you know? Um, so we've got to think about uh, this approach for sure. But what we like to, what I like to do then is really focus on periodizing your fiber intake with this as well. So fiber intake is going to basically just delay gastric emptying, uh, so digestion and absorption of foods, and it's going to sit in your stomach quite heavy. And what we need to be thinking about is going to every session with the kind of belly relatively empty and the muscles relatively full. So therefore we have that springiness, that bounciness in our step. So what I typically do when we think of the fruit and veg approach, I will put most of the fruit um, in terms of the daily allowance surrounding the sessions. Yes, they have fiber, but it's not as high as fiber as say, again, a head of broccoli um, or some kale. Um, so what we look at doing is just introducing some more fruit around in the sessions because you get your carbohydrate hit, your sugar hit, but then uh, you still get part of your sort of eight to 10 portions of fruit per day. I fortify fruit, fortify veggies. And then what I will typically do then is also just lower the fat content of those meals too, because again, fat is going to delay gastric emptying and you're going to have food sitting in your stomach. So basically the meals around in your session are easy to digest proteins and a good carbohydrate hit. Then the meals away, I will flip it on the head. You're still going to have that kind of good protein hit, that robust response in most protein synthesis, but then we're going to pull carbohydrate down. But because we're pulling carbohydrate down, our plate is, you know, our dinner plate is going to look a little bit vacant. So that's when I put more, that's when I put most of the veggies in there to create that food volume and that's going to fill us up. Um, and again, with our perhaps remaining four to five portions of vegetables, I put that maybe in the lunch and the evening meal. Again, depends on training times and stuff like that. But the meals further away, I typically will put most of the, the veg and fiber in there. And that's where I put most of the dietary fat in there as well. So that's when you may have like your avocados and more fatty based foods in there. So your total daily intake, you're still hitting it in terms of your calorie macronutrients, but we just have this heightened level of thinking like, right, how can I periodize things accordingly to optimize my performance, both physically and mentally, but also just how do I feel going to that session? Do I feel sluggish, lethargic? Or do I feel like light and tight because spring in the step and really like powerful and strong? So these are things I will look at here for sure. But an absolutely key thing when it comes to periodization of your day, personal preference overrides all of this. 
So if, for example, you train in the morning and I'm like, right, we need to have oily carbohydrates or mostly carbohydrates run in a session and then taper off in the evening, but your food focus, your desire to eat is highest in the evening. And that's where you kind of want or crave more carbohydrates. It's like, okay, let's just perhaps just grab a bit of carbs from breakfast and put them in the evening meal. So that evening meal is more substantial and it's more satiating and it fills you up and reduces your food focus. And therefore, if you have reduced food focus, you're better able to manage your calorie intake. And if you're better able to manage your calorie intake, you get better results long time. So it's, again, looking at what's optimal on paper versus what's optimal in real life, because we need to be focused on can we, how closely can we get to optimal, but then still factor in our preferences, because that is absolutely key. So a lot, maybe this approach I might do with, you know, 60, 70% of my athletes to work with, uh, the other kind of maybe 25, 30%, you know, it doesn't look like this at all. It really is just there to support their food focus. Um, especially if they are perhaps come down from higher body fat percentages or something like that. Uh, it's like, right, how can we make this calorie deficit as sustainable as possible for you? Like obviously a calorie deficit, you're going to be under eating. Um, that's the by definition, like you'll eat, consume a few calories and you expend. So it's going to be shit at the best of times, but it's like, how can we make this as less shit as possible? Um, and this is where personal preference is actually key. And this is where this heightened level of awareness and thinking is really going to uh, support these outcomes. And then the last point then is your hydration. So hydration, we covered previously in a previous uh, podcast episode. This is the forgotten nutrients. Athletes, they, they're absolutely terrible at this. <laughs> they, they're kind of like, yes, we, I can understand carbs are key, carbs are key, king, all this kind of good stuff. Um, but then you just forget about hydration. So just to cover this, it, like a really brief recap, your baseline is approximately 30 mil per kilo. There's a few different recommendations floating around. Some like one mil per kilo, sorry, one mil, sorry, per calorie you consume. So if you consume 3000 calories, you consume 3000 mil, whatever, you know, is basically having more fluid in your intake than you probably have previously if you don't uh, currently acknowledge your hydration requirements, um, generally speaking. So we kind of look at general recommendation at baseline 30 mil uh, per kilo. And this does account to some extent for your teas, coffees, and, and all this kind of stuff, and a little bit of fluid throughout through your food as well. But generally, you want to get a good amount of water into your diet. Um, and then all we do then is just account for the fluid losses in training. If you, if you sweat out a liter, a kilo, then we just need to put that or 150% of that back in over the hours after that, okay? Not all the ones because you probably won't retain it all, but in the hours following, just getting that back in. Again, not necessarily a, an obsession around this. It's just generating our overall awareness. It's like, okay, I've just trained. I sweated out a lot of fluid, fluid here. Let's put a little bit more in. We know from some research that just drinking a thirst after heavy sweat losses, you know, you don't uh, fully rehydrate. So, you know, it might just be worth just waiting to start pre and post once or twice, three, just get a few kind of data sets here. And then, um, you know, just use them to guide you moving forward. Just like, wow, that's a really hard SNC session or what bike session or run or something like that. You know, when I did this last time, I lost 1.5 kilos. 
okay, so I probably need to aim roughly for that uh, again to make sure I fully rehydrate so I don't have this accumulation of dehydration throughout the course of the day and the training week. And um, for most, if you're, to be honest, if you're like living in like temporary environments and your training demands are pretty low and uh, you don't really have high sweat losses, you can get away with just drinking the thirst if you've got the right right habits there. Um, perhaps if there's always like a glass of water next to you, if it's a water bottle next to you, water bottle in the car, in the office, in the gym, you know, you can kind of just sip and just drink the thirst and you'll get pretty close to it. Um, but if you don't have water or fluid in your environment, uh, then you, and many will just forget to kind of drink. Um, so just figure out again what works best for you. Personally, I'll always have a water bottle on me and I'll just drink the thirst unless I'm doing something uh, that is something outdoors or, or even indoors, but it's just very, very hot and sweat rates very, very high. That's when I'll have a deeper kind of um, deeper kind of uh, over, or sort of review of my hydration um, status and intake. So that is basically like the five key steps when we think of building a, an optimal diet. So we got to really think about and monitor food quantity, quality, got to think about protein distribution, uh, so how many protein hits we get in per day. We've got to think about within-day carbohydrate periodization. And then we've got to think about that forgotten nutrients. We've got to think about hydration. Um, so these are the key kind of steps I will take when it comes to building a diet for uh, an athlete. Um, and then it's like, again, personal preference is absolutely, is absolutely key here. So hope that was helpful, guys. Uh, as always, any questions, queries, anything I can help you with, best place to get hold of me is um, on Instagram DM. That'd be absolutely fantastic. And uh, if you found this podcast helpful, if you got some value from it, it absolutely mean the world to me. If you can either like, comment, or share it, uh, because that would be absolutely huge in terms of again just growing uh, the popularity of this podcast. And and again, it'd just be massively appreciated. Um, so thank you very much in advance. So guys. Again, hope this is helpful uh, and I will see you next time.